Good morning. Good morning. You guys can find your seats. We'll have an opportunity in a little bit for some more fellowship. You can turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation 20 and in verse 11. Excuse me, take that back. Verse 7. Chapter 20, verse 7 in the book of Revelation. One of the things that constantly amazes me is the degree to which human beings will make bad decisions. Maybe you have had to reap the consequences of bad decisions in your past, or maybe even recently. And if you ever have made a bad decision, and you knew and know it was a bad decision, you know that in the end the consequences, well, God may be gracious, and he is. Amen? But generally there are consequences when we make terrible decisions. Now I want you to imagine a world which we talked about last week, which doesn't exist yet, but will exist in the future. A planet where Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth for a thousand years. And as he rules and reigns over the planet earth, there will be no tolerance for sin. I'm not saying people won't sin because people sin, but there'll be no tolerance for it. There will be no allowance for people to defy God and his word openly without consequences. But then, as we'll see this morning... There'll be a moment when people will once again, very much like the Garden of Eden, be given an opportunity to make a good decision or a bad decision. And in this morning's study, we're going to see that given the opportunity, even after a thousand years of Christ ruling on the earth, most people, if not the majority of all people, will make the worst possible decision of their lives. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, if there's anything I think we've learned, it's that our decisions make all the difference in our lives. We start by making a decision for you to give our hearts and our lives to you. And once we make that decision, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to make good decisions. Decisions that are guided by your Holy Spirit, but also according to your word. Lord, help us to continue to make good decisions. We know that if we do, we're blessed, we're happy, we're holy. But Lord, when we make the wrong decision, give us the strength to acknowledge that in confession and through repentance to turn from those bad decisions and even the consequences to give our hearts and lives to you that we might be restored. Lord, we we continue to fail, but you never fail. And we are so grateful for your love, your mercy, and your compassion. May you show it to us and speak it to our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in verse 7 of chapter 20. And we read this. That when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. 
They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's amazing to me, and this is actually shocking, that after Christ comes again and judges the earth, sets up his millennial kingdom, and establishes peace on earth, and one can only begin to imagine what it will be like to live on this planet for a thousand years with the devil in prison. Christ in control of the earth, in charge, ruling and reigning. We with him, ruling and reigning on the earth. How in the world could it end like this? Have you thought about that? I think about our world today. What a wicked state of affairs we find ourselves in. You know, if you look back and you look at the history of mankind, it's filled with going back to the the garden, Cain and Abel, the flood, all the way through history, all the way up until today. It's filled with examples of just how wicked we are as a group of people. Now, listen, there's always saints. There's always good people who love God and God works through. But in general, in general, we are a really hot mess. I mean, we really need help, obviously. So what's the answer? How do you, how do you change a society? Well, I only think at this point Christ coming again could really save us as a society, as a species. And he will, and when he does, it's going to get rough, as we've seen, but then it's going to be restored. But our world today is being given the opportunity, like they will in the future, to make bad choices. You are given opportunities today to make the wrong choices. And we look at that and we think, well, where's God? Well, wait a minute. Would you want God to just make all the choices for you? Because he could do that. That wouldn't be a relationship. That would be an oppressive situation. And that's not what's going to happen during the millennium. It's not going to be a dictatorship in the sense that you can't exercise your free will. But there will be consequences for exercising your free will in rebellion against God. There are consequences today. However, have you noticed that it doesn't happen right away? I, like you, have had the opportunity even just over the last two weeks to see our culture celebrate sin. I'm not sure which sin is worse. I think they're all bad. They all brought Jesus to a place where he died on the cross for our sins. But the word that's being thrown around right now is pride. And I think to myself, you can be proud to be an American. You can be proud of of your children and of your family in a good way. But when you celebrate sin and you have the audacity to say, I'm proud of my sin, you're standing on shaky ground. And I pray for anybody that celebrates pride in sin, any sin, let's be clear. If your mantra is, we're proud to be sinners, I can't help but think of the biblical examples throughout the millennia of peoples that have stood up, even God's people, Israel, and in the face of God have proudly defied his word and his will. 
Why are we still here? Because God is gracious. When our leaders stand up in front of rainbow flags and say, oh, what wonderful things about sin, I think to myself, let me check my watch. My watch has a little date on it. And I think to myself, we're still here? I mean, yeah, we are. We're going to be here a little while longer. God is working. I I don't understand how or why he's so tolerant of sin, but he is. And it doesn't mean that we should be tolerant of sin. We love people. And I think it's, it, it's not so much that he tolerates sin as he tolerates sinners. Are you with me? Why? Why would he do that? And we've said this so many times before. God hates sin, but he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you don't want to just single out one sexual sin or this sin or that sin. Pride leads you to all sin. And when you're proud of something that's in in conflict with God's word, it doesn't matter what sin it is or what flag you fly. You are in rebellion against God. You are, because by very nature, the devil is a rebel, you are aligned with Satan. Whether you're openly a Satanist Satanist, or or you just defy God's word, you understand? You, You stand against God and his word. After 1,000 years... This will still happen. So don't be surprised after this nation was founded with with such a rich Christian heritage that just a few hundred years later, here we are. Because I've even asked myself, because I'm in my late 50s, I've asked myself, what happened? Just in the last 25 years, what has happened? But imagine after a thousand years that an innumerable number of people will defy God and rebel against him. That's the stage. I've set the stage so that we can talk about this. The release of Satan and his final judgment. I'm real happy about that last part. Not so happy about the first part. I'm not happy that Satan is allowed by God to influence and to deceive. But I've come to terms with the fact that there's a purpose in God allowing that, because if, if there wasn't a purpose, God would not allow it. I, I can accept that. And when that purpose has been realized, he will be, as we saw last week, cast into the bottomless pit or the abyss and chained there for a thousand years. But then, Satan will be released for a short time at the end of that millennium, specifically, specifically to fulfill God's plan for mankind. So, yes. Does God work through Satan? Yes. I have to be careful when I say that, because God is not the author of sin or deception or rebellion or anything Satan says or does. But in allowing Satan to influence mankind, he tests and proves the hearts, not only of his people, but of all people. All right, we accept that. We can see that. The scripture makes that clear. What does Satan do? The minute he's released, I often find myself brokenhearted when I read a news article like this. Someone is taken into custody for committing a crime, violent crime, whatever kind of crime. And within 24 hours, they're back on the street and they commit another crime. And then, of course, because we have lunatics running the asylum, these people are just allowed to harm others. And then you find out someone who was released from custody goes out and kills someone. And I think, could you imagine being the family member of that person and thinking to yourself, why? 
There was no question that this person was a criminal. And now I'm out a loved one. They're gone from my life. That would be a horrible experience. And some, many people have had to experience that tragedy in their lives. But the very first thing Satan does when he's paroled is goes out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. And the reference is Gog and Magog. I'll explain that in a minute. Basically goes out into the earth to deceive the nations. Now think about this. If during the millennium, when Christ is on the throne, ruling and reigning, there is no other government, if he can have the opportunity to go out into the nations, that means there are other nations. Uh, Who will be ruling those nations? I suspect we will probably be ruling those nations. That is, those who belong to Christ. And still, Satan goes out into the nations to deceive the nations that he might destroy the nations. So if that happens under those conditions, what do you think is going on today? You know, there used to be a, a time in my life where I'd read these theories about what Satan was doing, and I'd think, oh, you know, the Illuminati, and oh, conspiracies and things like that, and I really take it seriously. You know what now I realize? All of that stuff is actually pretty true in some level. Satan is working at very high levels in our world to destroy and deceive the nations. Now that's it. I'm not going to go, you know, write a book and, and do a YouTube video or a blog on all that stuff because I don't know what Satan's doing. I don't want to know. I know what God is doing. And that's what I talk about. But here's what I know. It's pretty dark. But imagine if this is what Satan will do then. What on earth is he doing now? Well, that explains why so much of the book of Revelation is death and destruction, because so much of what Satan has done in this world is death and destruction. So, but that's behind us in our study. So we're going to look forward, but still, there was a time in the prophet Ezekiel's life where he was given a vision, a message of judgment concerning Gog, of the land of Magog. Now, I don't want to get real dogmatic about this because I'm going to say right up front, what we're going to talk about, I know will happen. I just have no idea when it will happen because God hasn't revealed when, but he said it will, and this is what's going to happen. In Ezekiel 38 through 39, and I'm not going to turn there. I'm going to summarize it, but I encourage you to read it this week. The Lord identifies a leader over the area of Magog. And let me explain why Gog and Magog are mentioned here. These are terms that go back to the very beginning of time and creation, the table of nations. They refer to areas in the world from their original names. Now, they're no longer called Gog and Magog. You you can't go to a map and find Magog or Gog. But if we go back to the table of nations in Genesis, I believe it's in, uh, what would that be, Genesis 5 or Genesis 10? Uh, I think it might be Genesis 10. Uh, all of that tells us that the, that the nations, the nations have existed forever. And God oftentimes refers to them by their oldest ancient names. But here's the thing. I believe in this section of scripture, the reason that Gog and Magog are mentioned is just to make the point that Satan is going to go out into the farthest reaches of the earth to deceive. Whether he actually deals with Gog and Magog, I don't know. But if you were living in ancient Israel, let's say first century Middle East, and I said Gog and Magog, to you that would be synonymous with the ends of the earth. Because they didn't know about Australia or Micronesia or even North or South America. So when you said Gog and Magog, I was like, 
throughout the whole earth. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a reference to the ends of the earth, which is sufficient. However, because the prophet Ezekiel was given a prophetic message that specifically talked about Gog and Magog, I want to share with you what I do know. And what we do know from the scripture is that the Lord identified Gog as a leader of a future coalition of Israel's enemies. Now think about it. If the land is Magog, the land of Gog, Gog can refer to the leader of Magog. And by the way, when we talk about Egypt, we say the king of Egypt is Pharaoh, right? And there were many different pharaohs, but we always say just Pharaoh. So think about it that way, Gog. It's more the title, like we have a president, if you want to call him that, a president in our nation. And, you know, honestly, some nations have prime ministers. Some nations, well, Egypt had a pharaoh. I think this area, Gog, is the leader of. So who it is, is it important? It's the position. Ezekiel was given this message, and this message told us that Magog seemed to be identified with the area of the world that we call the former Soviet nations, and they were to the south of Russia proper. Not even just Russia, but the areas uh, in that area south of Russia, uh, or south of the USSR. By the way, this Gog was also called the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, which are other areas, other cities. Some people associate that with Moscow and Tbilis. We we don't know, but regardless, those are the cities, those are the areas he was uh, leading and ruling over uh, and referred to by Ezekiel. The word for chief, chief, is rosh in the ancient language, in ancient Hebrew. So that may be interpreted, and I'm just giving you some of the theories, as the Prince of Rosh. And from that, some people believe it points to the modern land of Russia. Uh, Possibly, it might be a stretch. The point is, we are talking about the areas north of Israel, uh, and certainly to the far north, to the maybe all the way up to the Arctic Circle. So it's hard not to include Russia in that group, but it, it certainly would include a lot more than just Russia as we know it today. So we do know this, that Meshach and Tubal, Tubal are the Scythian people, ancient people called the Scythians. They inhabited the area around the Black Sea. That we do know. Uh, also, we're told by Ezekiel, or Ezekiel was told by God, that Gog and his army will be drawn into an armed conflict by the will of God in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 4. Some believe that this will happen very soon, like around now. Some believe it will happen during the tribulation period, and some believe it will happen at the end of the millennium, and that that's what John is seeing here. I literally have no clue. What I found lately, when something can fit in multiple places, I asked the question, well, will it happen before the millennium or after the millennium? I think I find myself saying yes. And yes, more than likely, because a lot of times in Scripture you have this thematic prophecy. Something happens on one level, but then it happens at a larger, more complete level later on. So maybe both are true. I don't know. That's not important to our study today. But God will lead a coalition of many nations. By the way, most of them currently are Islamic nations that surround Israel into battle. Now, Persia's mentioned. We know Persia is Iran. Not only Iran, but the Central Asian Republics. Now, I didn't write it down, but I think it's Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kyrgyzstan. I think something like that. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. 
So those are the five Central Asian republics. They are Islamic republics. They were a part of the USSR. They are no longer part of the USSR. They are also included when we talk about Persia. Persia was a large area. They included much more than Iran. Might even include Afghanistan as well. So Kush is mentioned. That's Ethiopia, but not just Ethiopia and northern Africa. The nations all along the Red Sea can include Sudan, Somalia, and Yemen, where there's a lot of problems. But anyway, those are areas that are mentioned. Uh, there's another area called Put. Now, all this is, is in Ezekiel 38. I'm summarizing for you. That refers to, Put refers to Libya and the nations of northern Africa. So Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco. Again, Islamic nations. So if, if, you're, if you're keen on geo, uh, uh, geography, you understand that that basically means the entire area surrounding Israel. I think a lot of people get caught up in which nation's going to be this or that. The truth is, in the last days, things are going to be radically different than they are today. So essentially, you can interpret it again, all the nations, all the nations surrounding Israel. Not hard to imagine a world where all the nations surrounding Israel hate Israel and want to destroy Israel. But imagine this, what we're talking about in John happens at the end of millennium when Christ is ruling and reigning on David's throne. Uh, also, there's some other nations mentioned, which basically mean Europe, like Gomer is mentioned, which is Germany and parts of, the, of Eastern Europe, which would include Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia. We know that much. Uh, Togomara is mentioned, which is Turkey, uh, and the former Soviet nations to the north, Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and now you've had your geography lesson for this week. But essentially, you can look at all those nations, or you can just draw a big red circle on a map around Israel. So all that basically tells us is the whole area. Uh, so I wouldn't get too caught up in which nations, all the nations. That's the point. And the Lord will call them to invade Israel. We know this from Ezekiel 38. But the Lord will destroy this coalition of Israel's enemies. Now that we're told by Ezekiel. If that happens before Christ comes, then it will happen on an even larger scale when Christ rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Maybe this does happen. Maybe this doesn't happen before the millennium, but only happens after the millennium. In either case, God's enemies are destroyed. That's the point, okay? I personally, if you want to know my opinion, not that that matters all that much, I think on some level this will happen even before the tribulation period, but it will happen on a much grander scale in the book of Revelation after the millennium. That's my thought, because a lot of biblical prophecy happens and then happens again at a larger scale. We call that thematic prophecy because there's a theme, and it's repeated over and over again. But that's my opinion, for what it's worth. So this could take place anytime, really. It could describe even the Battle of Armageddon before the Lord's return. But I believe, certainly, there's an allusion to the destruction of Satan at the end of the millennium, which is what we're talking about today. Satan gathered the nations of the earth for battle against God's people. He was allowed to do it. He will be allowed to do it. His innumerable army, like the sand on the seashore, marched across the breadth of the earth. He's able to go out and deceive the nations and gather them to battle against the Lord after a thousand years of his rule. It boggles the mind. How could that possibly happen? Well, look at the world we're in today. How could this possibly happen? It's Satan in combination with the wickedness of man. When you combine these three things, it's a recipe for disaster. The three things would be your flesh, 
which is your sin nature, right? The world system, which is run by Satan, and Satan himself, you have a recipe for disaster. I remember many years ago hearing uh, there was a story of someone who wanted to get their uh, kitchen really clean. It's probably an Italian woman. And they were mixing all kinds of chemicals. And I found out that if you mixed, I guess it was bleach and ammonia, you're not going to do too well. So if you spray down the counters with bleach and ammonia, you're not going to make it. It creates like a nerve gas, a toxin, and it'll kill you. Uh, Talk about getting your kitchen clean, right? It's a little too clean. If you mix these three things, the devil's deception and influence, with our sin nature and the world system, you get what you wake up to every day in our world. Why is the world like this? That's why. Very simple equation. The devil plus the world plus your flesh or mankind's sin nature equals this world that we're living in today, this culture, this defiance against God. So that's what's going to happen at the end of the 1,000 years. They're going to surround the camp of God's people in the city of Jerusalem, and major geographical and topographical changes during the millennium will make this possible. So we're not sure what the world's going to look like after the tribulation period, but it's going to be possible for them to just surround the camp of God's people in the city of Jerusalem, and they will. But will this be a battle? You see, Satan the whole time he'll do this will know that everyone's going to be destroyed. That's what he wants. See, Satan understands his doom. Satan understands he's done for. He knows he lost. The cross made that obvious. Amen? He's done. He's defeated. Christ was victorious over sin and death. There's no hope for Satan. So what's his MO? What's his plan? Well, he knows that his beast and false prophet will be thrown before the millennium into the lake of fire we call Gehenna. He knows that at the end of the millennium, he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. What he wants is you to be there with him. That's what he wants. It's the only thing that makes any sense. He certainly knows the truth. He twists the truth of God's word. He knows God's word. So, where will you be? I asked that question last week. Where will you be? When Christ comes again, where will you be during the 1,000-year reign of Christ? And where will you be at the end of it? Well, we know where we'll be if we're in Christ. We will be resurrected given our sinless, perfect bodies. And you think you're pretty good right now, but you're going to be a whole lot better then. So, you know, here's the thing. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. We're going to see this rebellion, but we're not even going to have to deal with it because Christ is going to deal with it like that. And Christ could deal with the rebellion today in our world like that as well. Why hasn't he? Because he's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? Understand the heart of God, and you'll understand why we're living in this wicked world the way it is. So the nations of the earth that followed Satan are devoured. It's, it's, It's really just, it's over before it begins. They're devoured, devoured by fire from heaven. None of these poor souls who were deceived by Satan will be spared God's judgment. And none of the poor souls today who die apart from Christ will be spared God's judgment either. It's appointed for a man once to die or a woman once to die, and then the judgment. 
And Christ is coming again. We know that. He'll appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring judgment and to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen? It's Hebrews 9, 27, 28. So here's what we do know. Christ is coming again, but he's going to rule and reign, and we will reign with him. All of these rebels will be consumed by the presence of God. And the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 29, tells us our God is a consuming fire. Do you know what that tells me? He doesn't have to call down fire from heaven. He just appears. Just like when he comes again, when Christ comes again, they're destroyed by the brightness of his coming. In this day, it says, what does it say? It says that fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's just the presence of God. The presence of God just destroys Anything that doesn't belong in the presence of God. It's like, it just purges it. Refines it. So you have nothing to fear of the presence of God. Did you come into the presence of God today? Say amen. Amen. Did you fear? Well, you fear God, but I hope you didn't fear the presence of God. Because we're told to come boldly before the throne of grace for help in our time of need. We're told to come into the presence of God. We don't fear the presence of God because we're saved. We're spared. And that's a good word. So, in verse 10, which we read already, we're told that Satan was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Now, I mentioned last week planes of existence. In the Greek, this refers to a place called Gehenna. It's a place that was described and likened to the the place of burning garbage outside the city of Jerusalem. And uh, the, the words that are used are likened to that, but, it, but it's a place of burning. That's the point. The, the place, the lake of fire, is sometimes referred to a place of burning sulfur. Uh, it is a plane of existence where God exists, but only his wrath. And those that dwell there will abide in his wrath forever. Like the earth, like heaven, like, like the other planes of existence we've talked about, this is a very real place. There doesn't seem to be anyone there just yet. The first two who will be sent there are the beast and the false prophet. And by the way, after a thousand years, they're still there being tortured and tormented. And then Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. I, listen, if you like a, a good epic tale, like the Lord of the Rings, when you get to the end and Sauron is destroyed, or the ring is destroyed and Sauron's destroyed, I mean, that's a good feeling. If you've read those books, I read them as, as a kid. Uh, seen the movies multiple times, and at the end, when evil is destroyed, there's just a feeling, and this happens in any good versus evil movie, there's just a feeling of all is right in the world. And that will be true of the entire universe. When Satan is destroyed, but you see, there's still other things that need to be dealt with, and we'll get to that in just a minute. The lake of fire is eternal hell called the second death. Satan, the beast, and the false prophet will be tormented day and night for all eternity there. But we're told, Jesus told us that hell or Gehenna wasn't created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. That is, the servants of Satan. This is the ultimate solution for the servants of Satan. However, as I've said already, Satan does not want to be there without you. He wants you there with him. So he's working very hard to deceive the nations and bring as many people with him as he can. 
And that's the tragedy of this, because if it ended there with just Satan being thrown into the lake of fire, that would be wonderful. But it doesn't just end there, because then we're introduced to a scene called the Great White Throne Judgment. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, John goes on to say, Then, so after this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead. Now these are the human beings that followed Satan, or were deceived by him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, and as recorded in the books... And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a lot, but it's important that we break this down. Now, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it, it might be because... You read a little chick track. This was your life. Remember that? How many people read that? Right? Come on. How many people? Or eres tu vida? Or fue tu vida? Or something? So it was like this little comic book that you read. And, and it, it, as a kid in the 70s, they were all over the place. You'd pick them up and you'd read them. There's a lot of them. But that one stands out. This was your life. And you, and you open it up and you follow this guy who you know, lived his life a certain way. And in the end of the comic book, there's a picture. And it's not a great picture. It's a comic book, right? It's just a little sketch of people being cast alive into the lake of fire. It was burned upon my retinas and upon my mind and upon my spirit and my soul. And you can't recover from that. Once you have heard that message, not just the chick track, the message that is in the scripture here, you'll never, ever be the same. You, you can't. You can't recover from the possibility of that being true. Because what if that is true? What if that's true? We know it's true. Amen? But if it is true, the stakes are high. And it is true. It's God's word. John saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And who's seated on the throne? The triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, seated upon the throne. The earth and the sky fled from his presence. There's no place for them anymore. That is, heaven and earth will ultimately pass away. Or, or we've forgotten what Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. God's creation could never contain its glorious creator. So whatever we're seeing here is outside of creation. It's amazing. It's an amazing vision. But John saw the dead, great and small, stand before the throne to be judged according to what they had done. I do not want to be judged according to what I have done. Do you? Oh, if I can go in and edit like 80% of what I've done, I could put together a highlight reel. You know, when they do that for... Sports players, right? They do a highlight reel. Do you think they include a fumble or an interception? No. They stitch together and splice together all the greatest moments of that player's life on the field. That's not what you get. You don't get a highlight reel. You get everything. You get it all. So how do you avoid this being judged by what you've done? Well, 
by being judged by what he's done. How would you like to be judged by how Christ lived while he was on the earth? I'll take that. That's great. I would like that that book to be opened and see none of me and all of him. And that's what it means to be saved. Can I hear an amen? None of me and all of him. None of me and all of him. If you understand that, then you know what it means to be saved and spared God's judgment. And it's an amazing feeling to know that that's true. But heaven and earth will pass away. And John saw all of this in a vision, but it will happen. All of the dead will be resurrected to appear before God's throne. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. By the way, the rest of the dead, which we referred to in verse 5 of this chapter, we were told wouldn't be resurrected until after the millennium, after the thousand years were over. The rest of the dead were in Hades during this time. The place of the dead, another plane of existence, not hell, by the way, Hades, the grave, Sheol, different names for it. But they're going to receive new bodies after the millennium. And I mentioned this recently. You know, they're going to receive these new bodies, which will allow them to experience hell the way that our new bodies will allow us to experience eternal bliss and joy. So imagine, you and I, we can't really experience eternal life unless we're given new bodies. That much is clear. They will not be able to truly experience eternal hell unless they're given new bodies. That's a horrifying thought. It's simply a horrifying thought. But only those with new bodies can be in the presence of God. Anyone else would die. The scriptures make that clear. So the wicked are given their resurrected bodies, but not until after the thousand years. And we see how that all goes down. And the books were opened, and so was the book of life. Now, the books recorded the things that the dead had done while they lived on the earth. And keep in mind, there's so many people that see God through a dead works-based religion. They're going to fall short of God's holiness. You know, the Buddhist will be there saying, look, look at that. I, I meditated. I, I did this. I chanted. I, I, I did good things. I, I tried to help other people. And then they'll play the part where things didn't go so well. It's like, well, you're done. You, you can't use Eastern religion to achieve spiritual righteousness. Many people from the East achieve spiritual consciousness. What is the difference? Spiritual consciousness is being aware of your surroundings, aware of the spiritual realm. Unfortunately, a lot of people become very aware of the (laughs) demonic and angelic realm and spiritual wickedness through those religions. But even if you used Eastern religion or an Eastern form of religion or even Christianity to become conscious spiritually, it couldn't and cannot make you spiritually righteous. Only thing that can do that is the blood of Christ. So as much as I appreciate meditation and I appreciate being centered and, you know, meditating on God's word and, and doing good and trying to be there for others and all the wonderful things that are preached in some of these dead religions, it's not going to save you. It can't save you. You know, we always think of, in our culture, we think of Islam in very negative terms. And, and I, I would like to correct that, correct that perception. Uh, you know, not every person who comes out of Islam is a bad person or a terrorist. In fact, the majority of them are just trying to do good. I have a lot 
of people over my life's experience that I've met who were wonderful people. In fact, many times I find myself having more in common morally with someone who's Muslim than someone who claims to be a Christian in our culture. Just true. They kind of believe many of the same things we do. Now, having said that, they're not saved. Why? Because whatever they're doing, it isn't relying on the blood of Christ to be saved. It's, it's, a, it's a religion that has a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the God that came and died on the cross for our sins. Amen? So these religions are not going to help you. So when those books are open, I went, I went to temple every week. I went to church every week. I, I went to, to the, the mosque. I, I, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I went to Tibet. To boot. So you know what? Like, here's the thing. You, 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 you do all these things and you think somehow that's going to save you. It's not going to save you. It's just going to embarrass you when you stand before the throne of God. You're going to have shame and regret. So these books are open. That is the recordings, if you will, the word for book. It's the idea, you know, it's all been recorded, which again is a very scary thought. I'm so happy that when they play that tape, it's going to be like those old, remember those old VHS cassettes? Some of you guys don't, but most of us do. And like, remember when it'd be like your wedding video, and then all of a sudden it would go over to like the Super Bowl when the Giants won? Wives not too happy about that. But you know, it's like they go to play the tape, and, and I see my face, and then all of a sudden it just goes, shh, and then all of a sudden it's the face of Jesus. That it's been erased and replaced with him. I'm feeling really good right now. Really. When I think about that, whew, I can praise, even in this wicked world. Wow. That's good news. That's good news. <laughs> Amen? So... Those who seek God through a religion of dead works will fall short of the grace of God. They'll fall short of God's holiness. By the way, these books simply condemn anyone that's judged by them to eternal death. That's the point. The Book of Life, though, is mentioned, and this is a good book. It contains the names of those that will receive eternal life. I'm happy it doesn't contain anything more. All I need is my name in that book. We don't need to talk about what I did while I was here. I'm happy to just have my name in that book. All those that belong to Christ have their names written in this book, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. God knew, we're told, according to chapter 13, verse 8 of this very book, the book of Revelation, God knew before the creation of the world whose names to write in this book. So before you even thought about, your name has been in that book, if you're saved. Oh, does that mean that God made the decision for me? I think we can establish that God isn't making all the decisions in this world. Is it fair to say that? Can I say that? but that he's still sovereign over this world? Is God big enough to be sovereign over the world and still give man free will? Well, I guess it depends on how theological you want to be. See, I I understand God is in control, amen? But I also understand I'm not, of myself, I'm not in control. I need the Holy Spirit, so I have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. How many times did your parents say, control yourself? You can't. The Holy Spirit does, amen? So here's the thing. This book and those written in it belong to Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's why it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And as a Christian, your name can never be blotted out or erased from this book. It's either in there or it's not. By the way, Moses was willing to be blotted out. He asked God, oh, you can blot me out and save Israel. But the Lord corrected Moses and basically said, look, he's sovereign over who is in this book. I like to say it this way. 
God has a pencil, but he doesn't have an eraser. He doesn't make mistakes. Amen? So he writes our names in this book. Actually, he probably uses a Sharpie since he doesn't make mistakes. Well, we can rejoice for eternity because our names are written in this book. And Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. So if you're going to rejoice, rejoice about that. But all the dead were judged by God. Those that had been buried at sea, they're given their new bodies. Those that had died whose souls were in Hades, the place of the dead, they're given new bodies. All the dead were judged by what they had done while they lived on the earth. And those that had died whose souls had been in Hades were all thrown into the lake of fire. Because at this point, there's no one in Hades at the end of the millennium There's no one there who's saved. They've all been given resurrected bodies. So this is the second resurrection. And remember, the first resurrection was for those who were blessed and holy. The second resurrection is for just those who were wicked. It's called the resurrection of the wicked, which I'll get to in just a minute. Now, we have these terms, and John referred to the lake of fire as the second death. Well, if there's a second death, what does that mean? There's a first death, right? The first death is natural death, and just about everybody will die. It's appointed for a man once to die, and then the judgment. But there are those who are part of the rapture, when Christ comes for his church, who are spared the first death. You might think about it, they sort of die and are resurrected in the same instant. Uh, But the first death is our souls, our spirits, being separated from these bodies. So however that happens, whether it's rapture, whether it's death, Whatever it is, that's the first death. And we talked about the first resurrection. Again, the resurrection of the righteous to eternal life. And I'm not going to go back into that. We dealt with that last week. But the second resurrection is the resurrection of the unrighteousness, or unrighteous, to be judged by God and sent to eternal hell. The second death, which we've talked about a number of times, is eternal hell, where the wicked are tormented day and night forever and ever and ever, all eternity. All the wicked receive new bodies, but they could never abide God's love. They rejected God's love in life, and so they will spend an eternity in the wrath of God, not the love of God. They were sent to hell to abide in God's wrath for all eternity. In fact, back in Revelation chapter 14, in verse uh, verse 9, Well, actually, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. It says here that those that defy God will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. That tells me that Gehenna isn't a place that's separated from God. It's just that you abide in God's wrath. So think about eternity as abiding in God's grace and mercy and love for all eternity or abiding in God's wrath and judgment for eternity. And that's the decision we get to make. Sadly, there are many that make the wrong decision. I open by saying we make some bad decisions. This would be about the worst decision you could ever make, to reject the salvation of Jesus Christ and think that you're good enough to have some eternity apart from him. It's the worst decision a human being can make. Satan has made his decision. The demons have made their decision. You need to make yours. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want you to understand something, how important this is. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into this place, the lake of fire. 
Eternal life can only be found in Jesus. Amen? There's something I want to read. Two things, actually, while Pastor Russ comes up. One of the things we know Daniel told us, strangely enough, should you think that this is just the book of Revelation, I want you to understand that in chapter 12, verse 2 of the book of Daniel, Daniel was told by the angel that was giving him this revelation that he received, that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, the first resurrection, others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the second resurrection. And just to seal the deal, we can go to John's gospel, and I'll just read it for you. In chapter 5 and in verse 28, This is what Jesus said on the subject. He said, do not be amazed at this. Maybe you're amazed at this. Maybe you've never heard this before. He says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves, notice all, not just the righteous, the wicked as well, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to life, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Tim, I thought you said the good that we do doesn't have anything to do with it. Well, what's the good you've done? What have you done that's good? Well, there are none that are righteous, no, not one. But wait a minute. There's one good thing I did. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm good. I'm good. Now, myself, I'm not. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Don't make yet another bad decision this morning. A decision to reject Christ and suffer hell for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray for any heart that's here today that's maybe heard this message, maybe read that chick track, maybe, maybe has received this truth before but continues to reject it, choosing to do the worst possible thing, and that is reject you in your salvation. I pray especially for those individuals whose hearts have become callous to the gospel message or those listening online. And I pray that right now, the truth, the impact of that scene, the great white throne judgment, would so impress upon their hearts the need, indeed the glorious opportunity, that's before them to cry out and say Lord Jesus I understand now and maybe in my flesh I don't even want to do this but I understand in my spirit I have a choice to make and I'm choosing you as my Lord and Savior because you died on the cross for my sins you rose again on the third day and you're coming again to judge the living and the dead and the day will come where all your enemies will be destroyed and all those that love you will spend eternity with you oh Lord I pray that every heart here would make the right choice. No more bad decisions. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.